0: God, thank you for your grace to us and thank you for the spirit that you give to us who does so much more than we can imagine. I pray that today you would help us to just begin to get a glimpse yet more of the amazing work of what your spirit does and how without him we really can't do anything. Father, thank you for uh, his work and I pray that you would do that work in our hearts today that we need, um, opening our eyes to see and our ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning again. We've got a few people. Hey, it's starting to fill up now in the middle. <laughs> uh, let me ask you a question. In our salvation, what's the job description of the Father? Like, thinking about we, in our salvation... What does the Father do? God the Father. Well, let's start with the easy one. What does the Son do, Jesus, in our salvation? He died for us. Thank you, Kevin. Kevin took the easy one, guys. All right, so the Son came, incarnate, lived a perfect life, died for us, was buried, raised again, right? Now intercedes. What did the Father do in our salvation? He gave his Son. son. What else did he do? We know that, John, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Okay, talking about the Father. What else does the Father do? In our salvation. Teresa, he keeps us. Yes. What else? The, the grace and mercy. He extends grace and mercy through his son. The Father planned our salvation. Like, if you're going to summarize it all, the Father planned out. From before the foundation of the world, it says in Ephesians, our salvation. The son carried out that plan, right? He executed, he did what the plan was. Now the question is, what does the spirit do in our salvation? So the father planned it. The son came and obeyed the father and died for us, carried out that plan He accomplished our salvation. What does the Spirit do? You're saved. What does the Spirit have to do with that? uh, He intercedes. We learned that, right, from um, Pastor, my friend, Dan Burris. He helps us in our weakness. But think about before you're saved, or like right about the time of becoming saved, what does the Spirit do? What would you say, Jeff? He does convict us. Exactly, we're going to see that he convicts us of sin. What else does he do? He guides us. But how does, how does the Spirit work in our salvation itself? He indwells us, like that's what happens. We're going to see right away. The Spirit applies salvation. So, if you think about this, the Father planned salvation, the Son accomplished salvation, and the Spirit applies it to you. You as remember the Catechism. We've we we talked through our Catechisms about um, our inability to do good. We call that having a sin nature, right? Okay, you're born with that sin nature. How many of you still have a sin nature? I'm looking for anybody to say that they don't. Let's talk later, okay? (laughs) You all still have a sin nature. But that sin nature prevents us from coming to God, right? You can't go to the Father. You can't even pray and worship the Father because your sin prevents you from going to him. We needed a redeemer. Remember, we had the catechism question that says we need a redeemer to overcome that. But all of you just raised your hand and said you have a sin nature. And I think most of you in this room would probably say Jesus is my savior. He's my only hope. But you said you still have a sin nature. So then until you die, what? <laughs> how is it that you can now go before the Father? How is it that you... Are, when you read your Bible, you understand it now. How is it that you are probably today, if, you look to, if we took a snapshot of your life, like drew a picture today, and then we just rewound like 10 years and took a picture of your life and kind of draw, drew it out, if you come to Christ, there, there's probably a difference in your life, isn't there? Like, the kind of person you were 10 years ago is different. Is that because, why is that? That's because the Spirit. Like, you can't do anything to please God right now, in and of yourself. You still have that sin nature. Jesus came and died for you. You have put your hope in him. But in and of yourself, you cannot please God. Jesus told... um, the people and his disciples that it's easier for a rich man um, to get saved. How don't I going to go Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to be saved. Mm-hmm. And his disciples goes, then, how in the world can anybody be saved? Because they believed that God would only show blessing. If you're rich, it's because you're doing the right thing and God's shown favor. And when God, when that, when Jesus said that, they're like, then none of us, if a rich dude can't be saved, then there's no hope. And Jesus then says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible, which shows us that we still have a need, even after you've come to Christ and believed, put all your hope in him. You still have a need because you still can't do things in and of, let me put it this way. When you first came to Christ and you asked, you said, Jesus, you're my only hope. I know I need you. You've repented your sins. I'm sorry for my sins. And you put your hope in him. Did you suddenly become a superhero? No. No. Like, just ask my kids, have I been angry in the last week at all? and sinfully angry. I'm sure I have. I, Wesley, he's like, can mm, me count the time. I hope not. But I did not become a superhero. I still need something. And that's what our catechism question today is about. Our catechism question. Last week we talked about what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? And we have there at the top on your review that he is God, he's co-eternal with the Father and the Son, and that God grants him irrevocably to all who believe. That was about who he is. Today's question is all about what he does. You remember the intro I used last week? I asked kids, like, what are helping jobs? We listed off doctors and teachers, and, right? And I said, we can really describe the Spirit as a helper. Well, today, I really want you to see how much of a helper he is. And I'm going to do things differently today. We'll look at the question, and we're going to go right to where do we get that from. And we're all going to use our Bibles. I'm not using a PowerPoint today because I want you to see this, either on your phone or on a, in a Bible. We're going to see how does the Spirit help us. But there's our question on your handout. The catechism question number 37 says, how does the Holy Spirit help us? The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, comforts us, guides us, gives us spiritual gifts and the desire to obey God, and he enables us to pray and to understand God's word. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things that our answer right there just lists. I was just telling Matt this morning, sometimes when I open up in prayer, a worship service or Sunday school, I ask for the Spirit to do what He does. And I, I, as I'm praying, I'm thinking about what does the Spirit do, and I tend to remember two or three things. But when I went to study yesterday, like what are some of the things the Spirit does, I just ran out of space on my handout. So if you'll notice, it goes front and back. And there's like, what, maybe 15, 16 things I listed, and I didn't even list everything he does. And it just, I got this overwhelming sense of, I can't do anything without the Spirit, but he does all these things and helps me do all these things. So I was so encouraged. I'm hoping we'll be able to get through all these. I doubt it. But I'll I'll help you fill in the blanks anyway, and I want you to take your Bibles the rest of this week if we don't get through all these. So what we're going to do, is just take turns reading these out loud, but we all got to turn to them so that you can all see them. So let's just start right away with John chapter 16. And what we're going to do is just read the verse and tell me what you see the Spirit doing there in that verse, and then we'll kind of come up with a single word to describe it. So we can't spend too much time on each verse because I have so many. So John 16, 8 through 11, sword drill, who's already there? Matt's there. Oh, Crusoe? Go for it. Read verses 8 through 11. Oh, (laughs) are you there already, Wes? All right, go ahead and read verses 8 through 11, chapter 16. Read loud. So what do you see the spirit doing there? What does it say that he does? Wesley? He 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 convicts people of judgment that will happen. Yep. Convicting I think he is convicting the world. Convicting the world, which encompasses how many people? All. <laughs> right, all people. So, if you would describe there if you want in that middle column, you can just write He convicts a person of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's right from the text. But if you're going to summarize that in one word, on that far right column, what would be the word maybe you could use that he, I think Jeff already said, so what's the thing the Spirit's doing here? He is convicting. All right? So the Spirit convicts, and it's not just Christians, is it? Interesting. All right. I want to camp out there, but I can't. So go back over a few more pages to chapter 3, John 3, 3 through 8. Who can read that? Go ahead,
1: Matt. (laughs) You,
0: you, go. Uh,
1: Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit.
0: Okay. In my reading this week, the question comes up to me every once in a while in my own reading, how were people saved in the Old Testament? And I always wonder, well, does the Spirit give them a new heart like he does in the New Testament? And today, this passage reminds me, yes, because Jesus says to Nicodemus, someone who knew and taught the Old Testament, why are you surprised? As if he assumed he knew this. So what does the Spirit do in this passage? Like the last line helps you see that. He births us, right? Somehow we are reborn. What is that called? You've heard Hollywood people say, I got born again. Have you heard that? I mean, maybe not so much anymore. That was back, that dates me a little bit. (laughs) In the 80s, I remember hearing about Hollywood people saying, I got born again. Okay, well, that's biblical. What is that saying then? What does it mean to be born again? Kind of got it there in the text. Wesley? Yeah, that's one word we could say. You got saved. It literally means you were given a new heart. (laughs) The Spirit gives you a heart to believe. Jesus says you've got to have the Spirit to do this work. So, if you're in that middle activity column, the Spirit causes a person to be born again. He causes them, to, he gives them eternal life or a new heart. Now, I'd love to spend some time there. The really important thing there is that we don't want to believe God when we're born. But when the Spirit does this work, all of a sudden you want to believe Him and you want to love Him and you want to trust Him. What word, fancy word, can you think of goes in that activity column for the Spirit? Pastor Matt, help us out. Regeneration. Regenerating. I'm going to make them all I-N-G words, but regeneration. Regenerating. Regen means to remake, to rebuild, to reborn. Okay. Mark. Let's go over to Mark chapter 1. Mark you want to read this? Where are you? <laughs> Mark chapter 1, verse 8. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay. Someone, it's a Jesus says, or John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but he, the one coming, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now flip over to 1 Corinthians. 12, 13. Those of you who got electronic bubbles, you're lucky. You can probably go a lot faster than us with the pages, right? Who's there? 1 Corinthians 12. Go ahead, Kathy. Verse 13. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all remain to drink of one spirit. Okay. So, given those two passages, what do you see the Spirit doing there? Baptizing, right? The Spirit, believers are baptized into the Holy Spirit by Christ. We say by Christ because what did John the Baptist say? He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right? And we see there in this Corinthians passage that when that happens, it unites you to every single person all of time and right now that are in Christ. So if you are in Christ, if you've been given a new heart, when that happened, when you first came to Christ, God, the Son and the Father sent the Spirit into your heart, We're going to get to that one in a second. But he baptized you. He connected you with every single person in church history, all the way back to the Old Testament even. Whoever is looking and trusting in God for salvation, you're united to them in Christ. Okay, why do I keep coming up with weird horror movie type illustrations when I get up behind this thing? This was not in my plan it probably is. <laughs> so if you've watched Stranger Things, okay, there's this thing called the hive mind. Like there's this creature like grows and you hurt one part of it and everywhere in this underworld its tentacles feel it. And that's a really weird creepy way to describe the body of Christ. And I'm sorry, but the, it's the, the illustration is just like, if we were all, oh, i got a better illustration that's not as creepy, probably not as offensive. Um, <laughs> how many of you ever held hands as a kid and one of you touched, touched in a battery and felt the, on the other end of it that electric pulse? No, good. That's good, Ava. Not. Nah, don't do it. If it's just a nine volt, you're going to be okay, though. <laughs> how do you know this it works well with tasers the point is and don't think about this like a force like the holy spirit as a force think about this illustration is the fact that we are all connected but you know our minds think all oh, right now in present time but it's through history too you are connected spiritually with every person who has come to christ your brother is Saint Augustine. You, didn't that blow your mind? Your sister is Ruth, a Moabite. That's awesome. It's, it's cool to when you start having
1: conversations with people that
0: are in eight different countries. Oh yeah. Oh, man. So it's just like, man, God's kingdom is nuts. Just yes. We get, nuts. we get so discouraged, too, Like when it seems like things are falling apart, but he is winning, and his people are everywhere, and you're connected to all of them. So in some senses, just like Scripture says, when one weeps, one's persecuted, you're being persecuted. Okay, I said I wasn't going to spend too many times on these, but the, the, the summary word for activity there would be baptizing. I'm not going to get into the argument that that is a spiritual baptism. I don't believe that that is talking about water baptism. To any extent that it's talking about water baptism, it is pointing towards. Your water baptism points towards that. When you are baptized in water, it shows that you are being, that you have been united by the Holy Spirit to every single one. There are people in this town that write newspaper articles arguing against that. Go for it, dude. Okay, Romans 8.11. Uh, that guy is super divisive. If you know what I'm talking about, Romans eight eleven. Somebody, ha- thank you, Wes. Go for it. He who raised Christ, Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Oof, I love that verse. But there's two things going on in this verse. What is one thing you see that the Spirit does? Teresa, because you already said it. What does the Spirit do? He dwells. The Spirit dwells in you. So that activity, the Spirit dwells in believers. What's the second thing you see in that text that the Spirit does? He gives life. Now, is he talking, we know that from John 3, he gives spiritual life. But that's talking about like physical life in eternity. In other words, the spirit is the one who resurrects dead bodies. Because it says right there, he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And he will, if he dwells in you, do the same thing to your mortal body. So the spirit is the one who resurrects us. So your two verbs at the end there, the activity, indwelling and resurrecting. Indwelling and resurrecting. So even if we just stopped there, we still have 10, 11 minutes left. Just think about those four words he he does already. He convicts you of sin. He gives you a new heart so that you can believe, so that you can love him, so that you can praise him. And he baptizes you into the spirit. The, The Christ baptizes you into him so that you're connected with every single Christian ever. And he indwells you. The Trinity lives in you. That's amazing. And he will resurrect your body. All right, Ephesians 1. Let's look and see what else he does. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. All right, we got to get somebody other than Matt and Wesley. Who's got it? Ephesians 1. All right, I guess Matt, go for it. Matt's always winning the sword drills, I guess.
1: Yeah, I'm making up for all those years as a child where I couldn't find it. <laughs> Thir-
0: uh, 13 through 14
1: him you also when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory
0: oof okay what do you see there that the spirit does seals you see that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit now, without taking too much time, what did a seal do 2,000 years ago? Elena sent me a birthday, gave me a birthday card this month, and on the back of it, she had a wax seal that she has a kit that she lights it and makes a wax seal. Today, that's about all they're good for is pretty fancy stuff but they have much meaning 2,000 years ago. What did they mean 2,000 years ago, a SEAL like that? Official authentication. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Todd, say it again. Official authentication. Yeah, official authentication, exactly. And that still kind of is notary SEALs, right? What else, though? Somebody said something different. Security, yes. It also indicated ownership. ownership. You have been sealed with the Spirit of God, and that seal means you belong to Christ. Now, at some point in your life, you trusted in Christ, you got a new heart, but you still have this sin nature, and you feel it every day, don't you? And some days, like me, do you get discouraged and think, how can I be God's child because I'm really messing up right now? And you feel like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to the end. This right here should encourage your heart. The only reason you're going to make it to the end is not because you're going to be good enough. The only reason you're going to make it all the way to the end is not because you somehow became a superhero and joined the Avengers. You will make it to the end because you have a stamp of ownership on you Spirit in you will not leave you. That's awesome. So the verb that I put on there is sealing, uh, indwelling, and resurrecting. All right, uh, just a new go Matt. On that um,
1: this the nice thing about the seal when you get something with the seal. That's how you know that's why I like the authenticated mm-hmm. element um so it's interesting in our life what the seal is that guarantees our inheritance even though the spirit is intangible it's like you said earlier it, it blow. like you're still going to see the effects and so one of the ways that we can know that we're sealed is the spirit it's not our perfection but recognizing the spirit's work in us yes um,
0: Absolutely. And we're going to, we're not going to get to that. <laughs> so I got to decide. I have six minutes left. All right, you help me decide. Should we just take our time to go through these and next week we could just finish it? Yeah. Okay. All right, good. Because there's some, there's some really awesome stuff in here. All right, let's look at 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Who? <laughs> Are you going to read, Crusoe? All right, 2 Corinthians 3.17. Yeah. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, what is he talking about? What kind of freedom there? Kathy, you answer this because I know you know this personally. what kind of freedom do you think the Spirit gives you? We sing about chains all the time, don't we, here? Yeah, yeah it just
1: breaks
0: your chains. It breaks the, the grip of chains from the yeah. Yeah. yeah, Teresa. Yes, that's what I put in my notes, actually. You are born a slave to sin. And if you've ever been to, and I I recommend doing this, I was in Memphis last summer, and Sabrina and I went and saw an old home and toured through it, and they had slave chains there, because it was right by a marketplace where they would sell them, and it just sticks out in your mind, these shackles, you can just imagine that slavery, chained. You were born with chains, bound to sin, with a heart that's bound to sin. And the spirit breaks that off. And your question should be, well, then why do I sin? Because all he did was break that power against you. He broke the power so that you do not have to sin. He removed the power of sin against you and the penalty of sin, right? The penalty is death. He removed those two things, and at the end, he will remove the presence. But he doesn't remove the presence of sin until the end. But when he removes that, he makes you a different kind of slave, a slave to righteousness. He gives you freedom now to serve because you cannot serve God apart from a changed heart. Why would that be? I got time I can wrestle with this one. Why would I say that until... The chains of sin are broken. You are unable to serve God. So, okay. Just carry those shackles. You know, you just, you just, yeah, like carrying the past around the Yes. Matt? I
1: don't know if this is where you're going with this, but I, I think there's also the reality that when you're enslaved to sin, even the, the things that might appear to be That's righteous... Right. Cool. Yeah. Are done for the, these other motives of the purpose of
0: selfishness. Yes, exactly. That's exactly where I'm going. So, I must be a pagan because I keep thinking of references that, to pop culture. So, Friends, I watched it in the '90s. I confess. Okay, I go and watch it today. I'm like, oh man, why did I watch this trash? Because there's a lot of immorality in that. But there's, it's at Christmas time. Phoebe. You remember Phoebe, blonde hair, the the dits. I mean, she, right? So she is volunteering to ring bells, for like the Salvation Army, and <laughs> there's this funny scene like somebody throws a cigarette into her thing and she gets so mad. You can imagine her doing that. Well, they're at the coffee shop talking about this, and she gets really philosophical. And I bring this illustration up a lot. She. In that that episode, she points out that nobody really, truly does anything altruistically. What that word means is truly emptied of self. Because she was doing it, she admitted, for the feel good. I'm doing something for humanity. My real deepest reason for ringing those bells is that it makes me feel good to do that. So apart from a work of God, no one can ultimately do anything emptied of self. But what the Spirit does when he comes in, he breaks the chains of sin, and gives you freedom to serve now and that even your works that you do now that may still be mixed with self, he sanctifies those works. He makes them great for God. It's a little bit like if you read the Old Testament, they would bless the offering, the sacrifice, to make it pleasing to God. That's what the Spirit does so that your efforts, even if they're tainted, are pleasing to God. And you need that because otherwise we're like Phoebe. Really, and it's hard. Like, I confess, this is why you, you, you can't go a day without sinning because if you just sit and think about it, you're like, I still didn't even do this right. I tried. I tried. You don't have to beat yourself up over that. Thank the Lord for the Spirit who blesses and sanctifies your efforts. And you say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me, even of the things that I've mixed in there, you know? So the verb I'd put underneath there is liberating. The Spirit is liberating. Okay. Mm, Let's do this last one. And then we'll we'll cover the rest next week. So Romans 8, 14, and 16. It bugs me that our catechism series of questions only has two on the Spirit. So we can definitely stretch this out. (laughs) 8, 14, and 16. Wesley's got his hand raised high. Go for it, man. Going through sixteen. Go ahead and finish the next verse. I just I gotta and if children then here heirs. heirs. Heirs of God and follow heirs, Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified Okay. So much in there. Romans 8, I think you could spend a year preaching through that whole chapter, but look at verse 16. The Spirit, the word Spirit's used two different ways there. It says the Spirit himself, so that's talking about the Spirit of God, bears witness. When you hear that phrase, bears witness, where do you all hear that today? In court, right? Someone has to bear witness about something. The Spirit himself bears witness with our, now this is the other way the Spirit's used here, our spirit, our internal, our soul, our inner man. He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So here's what I would put in that description column in the middle there. The Spirit reminds and assures a person that they are truly a child of God. That's one of the Spirit's works is he reminds you, assures you, <laughs> that you... stop. I came having a serious moment right now, and he gives me this look, and he's like this. The Spirit assures you that you are a child of God. One of the Spirit's jobs to help you is to assure... Is a, a, this is the word I put in the end, assuring, A-S-S-U-R-I-N-G. He is assuring you that you are his child. And if you don't have that assurance, come talk to somebody you know does and say, "Help me understand how can I get that?" You are dismissed. <laughs> did you get a did he get a picture of you? Hey Matt, did you get a picture of her? Cuz she's going to change already. Is it really such an awful thing? <laughs> Okay.